The last time I was able to speak with you, last time was Labor Day weekend, just last year. And the title of my message at that time was Don't Ever Give Up. And some of the points we made that day were about, I just want to encourage everyone, you know, we've all had dreams. We all at one time or another experiencing things in our life, some more difficult than others. But the point being to don't ever give up on any of those things. Don't ever let any of those things go. Don't ever let a single dream fall unfulfilled. Don't ever let your hope be extinguished, no matter what the situation. Don't ever stop believing for salvation to come to unsaved loved ones. Don't ever stop believing for restoration of prodigal children. That was kind of the, one of the main points of that message was those prodigal children that we may or may not have in our lives. Don't ever stop believing for the restorations of those children. We read scriptures that showed us that we should never give up, that there are things that we have to hold on to and believe in. We discussed biblical principles that pointed us clearly to an attitude of never giving up. Today I want to encourage you and continue on with that thought of never giving up. I want to encourage you today to never give up based on some of my own personal experiences. These are some things that have happened some years past. A lot of them have just been quite recently in my life. But the point again being to never give up. If you like to have a title to your message, I would tell you to simply call this one the chess master. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for what's transpired in this service thus far, Lord God. Thank you that these needs have been presented. You're already moving by your spirit in these various areas, Lord. I just ask now that you would bless this word, bless the delivery of it, bless the hearing of it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is going to be a very different message than what you are used to hearing from me. Usually I use a lot of Bible verses, a lot of references. I'm going to use very little scripture this morning. And I'm going to use more stories, more events from my life. This is probably going to wind up being more of a testimony than it is a sermon. I hope that's all right. We talked a lot last time about confidence. We talked about not just having a belief in Christ, but having confidence in Christ and in his abilities. We talked about not just belief that he can move in every area of your life, but confidence that he will move in every area of your life and confidence that he is moving in every area of your life. We mentioned that our confidence has to be 100% invested in him, has to be completely invested in him. 50% is not good enough. 75% is not good enough, and save the other 25 kind of as a backup plan for some other things. We need to be 100% invested, our confidence in Christ. We can do that because Hebrews 6, 18, 19 says that God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. God has given us his promise and his oath. His promise tells us what he will do. His oath gives absolute guarantee of the fulfillment of his promise can take confidence in that today. These two things are unchangeable. What he has promised must happen. His oath says that it will happen. He is both the one who has the power to make the promise, and he is the one who has the power to guarantee the promise. Because he cannot lie, we can take to heart, and we can believe 
and we can have confidence in what he says about himself. In John 11.25, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, we can have confidence to go ahead and believe that if we believe in him, we will not perish, but we'll have everlasting life. We believe that he is the one source of resurrection. We believe that he is the one and only true source of life. In John 6.35, when he says, I am the bread of life, we can be confident that we come to him and eat of this bread. We'll never hunger again. John 8.12, when he says, I am the light of the world, we can be confident that if we follow him, we won't be stumbling through the darkness because we'll have the light that leads to life. In John 10.11, when he says, I am the good shepherd, we can be confident and know that the good shepherd has already gave his life for the sheep. We know that he calls us by our name and we hear his voice. We know that we're never going to perish. We know that no enemy can ever snatch us away from the shepherd. We have this confidence in Christ. Now as we build ourselves up and encourage ourselves in these truths, we are building the kind of faith that never gives up. We're becoming people who refuse to give up when we apply these biblical principles. Now being a person who never gives up, that is not, I'm not talking about an attitude of stubbornness that's built on stubbornness. I'm not talking about a hard-hearted response like Pharaoh. It's not a mindset that's oblivious to the things that are going around on around us and the things that are happening in our life. It's an attitude that's founded on a belief in God. It's an attitude that's built on the truth of God's word. And it's an attitude that's shaped by our own personal experiences with him. You have learned, as I have, that the greatest times of growth often come through these personal experiences that we're talking about. That's where you learn about yourself. And that's where you also learn about God. You will learn in those times that God is more compassionate than you realize. Psalm 56.8 says he not only sees our tears, but he collects our tears. Imagine the consideration, the compassion that he has for us. My hurts and your hurts are more precious to him than we can ever imagine. That kind of response means that he's trustworthy to work our situation out in the very best way for us. We'll learn as we put that confidence in God that our situation did not take God by surprise. Just because we were caught off guard doesn't mean he was caught off guard. Psalm 139 tells us that God is familiar with all our ways. He's familiar with where we've been. He knows where we are now. He knows where we're going. We can trust in what he already knows about us. We'll learn that God is more capable of managing our life than we are. You ever found yourself in a situation suggesting to God what he should be doing? And when he should be doing it? <laughs> we will learn that he's more capable of managing our life than we are capable of managing it. Isaiah 55.8 says his ways are higher. That means his methods are higher. That means his timing is better. His way is better for our life. God can and will at any time clean up your mess and clean up my mess. Romans 8.28 says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We will learn that God is incapable of misunderstanding. He's incapable of mismanagement. He's incapable of mistakes. Deuteronomy 32.4 said, His works are perfect and all his ways are just. He will never get it wrong. You and I, on the other hand, are more than capable of getting it wrong. But he will never get it wrong. 
We are perfectly capable of making a bad situation worse. We need to stop meddling and let him work his miracles in our life. And we will learn that a different, difficult situation is one of the ways God awakes our need for him. It's one of the ways he grows our dependence on him. And it's one of the ways he draws us closer to him. He can be trusted. In those times when you're going through those things and you're hanging on to a promise and you've committed yourself and dedicated yourself to never give up, don't just reach out in those times and take his hand. Run to him. Lean into him. Push against him. Let there be no gap between you and him as you run to his presence. Lean into him in those times. Let him be that solid rock, that firm foundation for you. Now, I used the title before the chess master. I hope you can forgive the analogy today, but if you think about it, God is kind of like a chess master. Any of you ever played chess? Do any of you like chess? Melvin does, a few of you do. Chess, that's when we should have been, I went to school with Melvin, I graduated with Melvin, we had plenty of study halls during the day, plenty of opportunities to get our homework done and, and to do the things we should do, and we usually sat in the library and played chess. And got our C's and D's and graduated anyway. I don't know why they let us. I don't know if they thought it was making us think at least, you know, when, when we were playing paper football, the librarian would come out and take it away from us. When we were playing chess, they just let us go ahead and play. So they must have thought it was doing us some good. But chess is not a game, if you've played, if you understand it all, chess is not a game that is over within four moves. Now, if you're a good player, you can checkmate a novice player in only four moves. But normally that's not how the game is played. Chess is all about strategy. The game of chess is all about putting your pieces in the right place for later in the game. A good player will spend the first part of the game, and much of the game in fact, strategically positioning his pieces. And then at just the right time, when all those pieces are in just the right place, he will make one move. He will launch an attack with one piece that will totally change the game. A superior move might result in an immediate checkmate and the loss of the game for his opponent. It may be a move where it takes the opponent's queen. Once the queen is taken, the match is pretty much over. It's just a matter of time. But the, the, the good chess player strategically puts these pieces in place, waiting for just the right moment to make just the right move. If the pieces aren't in just the right place, the attack will fail. It won't have the desired effect. The desired outcome will not be achieved if all the pieces are not in the proper place. This is what God does in our lives. And this is what God is doing in our lives. In those times when a situation gets difficult and it seems like it's dragging on too long and we start to begin to want to meddle in it and we start to begin to say, God, this is taking too long. God, you've got to move now. We've got to trust that God in his infinite wisdom and in his ways that are higher than our ways is behind the scenes in ways we can't possibly know about and in ways we can't possibly see moving all those pieces into the proper place. So at the perfect time, he can then make that move that's going to revolutionize that situation and change it for good. We have to be able to believe that. This is what he does in our lives. He moves things around. He puts them in the right place for just the right time. And then he makes the perfect move. God moves in the smaller areas of our lives. The things that we might seem insignificant, 
the things that maybe are kind of special to us that other people might call stupid, but he moves in those areas of our lives. God moves in the more serious areas of our lives, puts the pieces in place. God moves in the really big, important areas of our lives, those things that sometimes knock us around and knock us down and will cause us to question and make it hard to never give up and hard to hold on and hard to believe that he's in control of all things and that he's making the right moves in our life. Those big areas sometimes take a lot longer to see the result that we need just because of the moving of the pieces and the time that it takes to get everything right. They take much longer than the little things do. But yet a lot of times, and I do this, you probably never have, but at times we need to say, our attitude needs to be, have your way, Lord. This is difficult, but have your way, Lord. At times we need to say, do your will, Lord. We say, hurry up, Lord. I need you to make a move now. You just don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how difficult this is. You don't understand how much I need relief from this situation. But he does understand. How many of you have learned that the chess master is not going to make that move until the time is right? He's not going to allow you to convince him to make a bad move, an ill-timed move. He's going to wait until the time is just right. I said before that God moves in the small, insignificant areas of our life. Let me give you what I think is an example of that. And again, please try and keep the word stupid out of your thoughts right now. <laughs> I was in my truck driving home from work. It was about the 1st of December. They get a little more ridiculous on this every year. I have that, is it called Cirrus Satellite Radio? By... The 1st of December, there were already three stations that were playing nonstop Christmas music, 24 hours a day. Usually that upsets me, and I think it's way too early for this. Why are you playing Christmas music already? I sometimes feel like I can't wait for it to get over with. This year, I was really ready for it and really into it. Thanksgiving Day, I was ready for Christmas music. The day after Christmas, I was disappointed when they'd stopped. But... Oftentimes when I'm in my truck alone going to work or coming home from work, I, I don't just have la, uh, thoughts, I think out loud. Now let me clarify, I am not talking to myself in those moments, I am thinking out loud. All right? So I am thinking out loud in my truck this day, coming home from work, and I'm thinking about these Christmas songs. And some of the songs you hear way too much, and some of them you don't hardly hear at all. There's three particular, not the Christmas songs we grew up with, like The Silent Night and Away in a Manger, but I would say more the secular songs. There's three of those songs that I really like. There's a song Mariah Carey came out with about 20 years ago called All I Want for Christmas is You. It's a really upbeat song. I love that song. I'm not that fond of Mariah Carey, but I love that song. I wanted to hear that song, I thought out loud. The second one is a, there's a particular version of... There's a particular version of a Hawaiian Christmas carol called Meli Kalikimaka. Okay? I wanted to hear that song. That was my second one. The third one is a really old song from some British group did back in the 60s, and it's a Christmas version of Snoopy and the Red Baron. Okay? This is my wish list. I want to hear All I Want for Christmas is You. I want to hear Meli Kalikimaka. I want to hear Snoopy and the Red Baron. 
So I begin to switch my channels around. Three of the next five songs I heard were those three songs that I just thought out loud. And I thought, that's a God thing. Some of you will think it's a coincidence. I can tell by some of the looks I'm getting that you do not think that was a God thing. But I'm telling you it was. I took that as a God thing. The, the image I had in my mind was like the people who sat on a wagon during the parade and tossed candy to the kids. It was like God saying, here you go. Here's those three songs you said you wanted to hear. God moves in the simple things of our life. He moves in the little things of our life. God will set things in place in our life and move pieces around for events that, while maybe not life-altering or life-changing, they still can be difficult and they still can have an impact on it. Maybe, maybe you could call it intermediate uh, areas of our life. He will move in those areas. Last July, <clears throat> July 18th, in fact, of last year, after 15 and a half years, we come to a point where we had to put our dog down. He was 15 and a half years old. Um, he'd been run over by a car when he was just a puppy and broke his pelvis. So we knew eventually that was going to be a problem. And, and sure enough, his, his back end in the previous year had become quite crippled up. He had a lot of trouble even climbing up the stairs to get back into their house, to get up to on the deck and get back in the house. Um, he wasn't eating right. He just, there was a look in his eyes like he just wasn't there anymore. You know, you used to play with him and his eyes were all bright and and he's active and everything, and that just wasn't there anymore. So we start thinking that maybe it's time we have to put him down. Now, my wife had already, um, she had already reconciled that in her own mind that it was time. I wasn't quite on board yet. I still had to get on board with that before we decided to go ahead and make that decision. And I started researching some things online about, you know, I was looking for someone to say, Scott, it's the right time. And I never found that. But in my research, I come across one statement by one particular veterinarian. And, and this person said, it is better to put an animal down a month too early than five minutes too late. And that really spoke to me. And I began to think, you know, about what that meant. I, I was thinking about our dog, and, and as crippled up as he was, if he should happen to trying to get up the steps, fall and break a leg, and then have to go through all that pain and suffering, you know, in addition to what he was already experiencing, and then we'd have to go put him down anyway, I didn't want that on me because I wasn't ready to make the decision. So when I read that, better to put him down a month early than five minutes late, I got on board. My wife made the appointment. I think on a Friday, the appointment was for the next Thursday. So we had a few difficult days to think about that. On the Tuesday, before we put him down, I decided to, I wasn't able to go with when, when they um, put the dog to sleep, but nobody else really wanted the job of burying him. So that fell to me. So two days before we were to put him down, I went out. Behind the shed, I've got a row of pine trees and then a little gap and then where my shed sets. And I decided I was going to bury him out there. And I went out there with a shovel and I'm looking around and I picked a spot about probably 20 feet down from the edge of the shed. And I put the shovel in the ground and I was just going to shove it in and dig that first shovel full of dirt. And something caused my head to turn and look at another spot about 10 feet closer to the edge of the shed. 
And I, I hadn't even considered that spot before. I walked up, I looked at that spot, I looked back at the other spot, and something, it's a hole, okay? But something just said, this is a better spot in my mind. So I decided, okay, I'm going to bury the dog there. So I took my shovel, put it in the ground, I dug a nice hole about two feet long by about a foot wide and a couple feet deep. Thursday came, they put the dog down, they brought him home, I went out. Like I said, they, they didn't want anything to do with this part of it, and I didn't really either, but it had to be done. I put him down in his grave, I shoveled the dirt back in, I'm packing it down, I'm stepping on it. For some reason, as I'm stepping on that dirt, I stepped off, instead of back towards the shed, like I'd made every move before this, I turned and stepped backwards towards the tree, off of his grave. As I stepped down, back off the grave, something went squeak, and I raised my foot up, and I thought, what in the world was that? And I stepped again, squeak, and I reached down, there's all this pine straw on the ground. And I reached down and brushed the pine straw away, and there's one of his old squeaky toys <laughs> that we'd thrown away probably seven, eight years before that. And I looked at that thing, and I thought, how in the world did that toy get there? We threw it out years before. How did that get there? But it actually brought a smile to my face. And then I got a picture in my mind. I said, God is more compassionate than we think. I got a picture in my mind of how he saw this day coming years before. And somehow, after we'd thrown that, I don't know if we threw it in the garbage and another animal dug it out or what, but somehow, before that day came, he put that toy in that spot. He got me to change my mind where I was going to dig that grave. He got me to dig it less than a foot away from where that toy was. He got me to step back off the grave onto that toy, hear it squeak, and in doing so, he brought some relief to a moment of stress and sadness. He brought some levity to it. That's a God thing. I have less of those funny looks right now than I did with the Christmas songs. <laughs> What I'm telling you, that's a God thing. That is a God thing. He cares about every area of our life. He is concerned about every area of our life. He will move in those intermediate things of my life. The point I really want to get to is God will move in the really big things that have a great impact on our lives. I said earlier that I wanted to talk to you from personal experience why you should never give up. The next story and series of stories I'm going to share with you, I really struggled if I wanted to do this or not. I wanted to do it at some point um, when it felt right, when the opportunity arose. Um, I wanted to, but I didn't want to. Because what I'm going to tell you is very emotional for me, and it's very personal to me, because it, it concerns my son. There are two things I really don't like not that they're wrong, I just personally don't like them. I don't like becoming emotional in front of people. I do not like appearing vulnerable in front of people. And I've got a pretty good idea that I'm going to do both this morning before I'm finished. The only time in 40 years I've ever said no to pastor is when he's asked me if I wanted to participate in a funeral. And I say, no. Because I don't, you know, I don't... I know what will probably happen, and I feel like I don't know how that's going to bring comfort to the people out in the audience looking for some comfort. 
if I'm not comforted myself or appear not to be comforted myself. So I've always avoided that, and I will continue to avoid that as long as possible. <laughs> but this is a very emotional subject for me. It's, um, I don't know what's happened to me in the last few years. I do know, but nothing used to bother me. I was a rock. Nothing bothered me. And the last few years, all of a sudden, everything bothers me. I, not bothers, but you know what I mean. I'll be sitting here in worship, and spirit's moving, and I'll begin to cry, just seemingly for no reason, because something really begins to touch me. Uh, sometimes during the message, my eyes will begin to tear up at, at, a, at, a, at a, not the whole message, but there'll be one phrase, one sentence in that message, and it'll just, boom, something will click. Something will resonate in my spirit, and that'll get to me. Every time now I watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas, <laughs> I have, I've watched that cartoon every year since the early to mid-60s, whenever it came out. Every time I'm watching that, and I get to the end, and he's sliding down the hill with the sleigh full of presents, and he gets that look on his face. And the narrator says, and then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. I say, he gets it! <laughs> Praise Jesus! He gets it now! <laughs> and the tears are running down my face. Charlie Brown Christmas does the same thing to me. I just, I've just turned into a big marshmallow, basically. Now, if and when I do struggle with what I'm about to tell you, please hang in there and please bear with me. I decided to go through with this because I felt that there would be someone here today that needed to hear what I'm about to tell you. All right? Now, this story goes back farther, but I'm going to begin it back in 1987. September 12, 1987, that is the day my wife and I got married. In... July of 1988 would have been about 10 months later, she began to experience some signs that would indicate a pregnancy. So she went to the doctor and got checked, and sure enough, she found out that she was pregnant with our first child. I was at work, she come in the store, I was back in the meat department, I seen her coming around the case, got this big grin on her face, I knew already what the word was. We're pregnant. And in the days and weeks to come, you know, we experienced all those emotions, all those joyful thoughts, all the plans we had. We got to get a bigger apartment. Is it a boy or a girl? I don't know. What should we name it? We begin to kick names around. All those fun things, you know, that, that happened at that time. About two months later, some other signs begin to show up. My wife goes to the doctor and she discovers that she has miscarried the child. Um, it was difficult for me. It was devastating for her. I firmly believe at that moment of a pregnancy, uh, the mother has a much greater bond and a much greater attachment to the child than the dad does. So why it was difficult for me, I know it was much harder for her. Now, for some reason, this loss of this child really hit my mom hard. It would have been her first grandchild. I'd called her up to tell her what had happened. And her first response was, oh, no, or something like that. And then immediately, my mom, those of you who know her, she's not a real emotional person. She doesn't wear her heart on her sleeve, as they say. She pretty much keeps to herself. She immediately says, I have to go. And she hung up on me. 
she was about to lose it and didn't want to have that experience in front of me over the phone. So she hangs up. She called me later that night to apologize for hanging up. I said, well, that's fine. I understand. You know? But it really hit her hard. About six months later, my mom had a dream. Now, mom is not a dreamer. And if she did have a dream, she's certainly not going to go tell everyone about it. She, as I said, is a very private person. If mom, when she was able to attend church here, if she'd have felt the Lord told her something for the congregation, she would have probably lit herself on fire <laughs> before she would have walked up here and asked for the microphone and shared what the Lord had told her with the congregation. She's just not that type of person. You know, and everyone doesn't have to be that type of person. This is how my mom was. She wouldn't share things. To my knowledge, the only person she ever shared this dream she had with was my wife. I don't know if it was a mother-in-law to daughter-in-law connection, a mom-to-a-mom-to-be connection, what it was. But she shared this dream with my wife, and then I didn't find out about it till later after my wife shared it with me. But in her grief, she has this dream. She said it was very simple. She's just sitting in a room, just a plain room. All that's in the room is a rocking chair. She's sitting in the rocking chair, rocking this little baby girl. And that was the whole extent of the dream. She said, however, there were two things about that dream that she knew, 100% no doubt about it. She said the first thing she knew was that the place she was was heaven. She said the second thing she knew was that the girl was her granddaughter. Here we go. God bringing comfort to a grieving grandma. She shares this dream with my wife. We talked about it. We chose to embrace it. Now, you can take any, the three Christmas songs, the dog's grave, you can take anything and see God in it, or you can deny that God had a hand in it, okay? In this case, we chose to take this as a message from the Lord that our baby was a little girl. So from that moment forth, we said and confessed, we have a daughter in heaven. My wife and I are both people who believe in life at the moment of conception. So we believe that we have a child in heaven, and now we believe we know that that child was a little girl. Okay? Now, fast forward 10 or 12 years here. I, I, I don't have my times exactly right here. Forgive me for that. One Sunday morning, Paul Tucker is a guest speaker in our morning service. I don't know if any of you will remember this message or not. Because we're probably back in probably back around the year 2000 here, somewhere in there. <clears throat> Paul is giving his message. He's partway through it. He begins to speak about abortion. It, the point of his message was not abortion, but in the context of his message, he begins to speak about abortion. His point was not that abortion is bad. His whole point was about the emotional scars that people who have chose that route can experience, some of the baggage that can come with it, some of the guilt, the mental anguish that they can feel concerning that choice. 
And the point he was trying to make there, he was encouraging, if there was anyone in the congregation that had made that choice, that had had to walk down that path, that were feeling those feelings of guilt and, and anguish and, and hopelessness, those feelings of failure, feeling the hurt and the pain, his, his point was that God can deliver you from that and that you need to allow him to, to do that work in your life and you need to forgive yourself for those things. And as part of the healing... He said, if you know the sex of those children that you lost, you need to name those children. Give them an identity, I believe was his point. And then he said, if you've experienced a miscarriage and you know the sex of your child, he said, give that child a name. Name the child. Give it identity. We drove home after church. We didn't really talk about it. That night we went to bed and we, uh, we began to talk. What do you think about that? Well... Sounds like a good idea. Now, we had this dream that my mom had dreamed where we believed the Lord had given us a message that we had a little girl. So we decide we're going to name our daughter. So we start in again, what do you want to name her? Well, we had both liked the name Stephanie when we were thinking about naming our daughter, but we couldn't agree on a middle name. So Stephanie got thrown out, and we wound up with Sabrina. Being we both liked the name Stephanie, we didn't feel like we had to give her a middle name. We just said, well, you want to go Stephanie? We said, sure. So just out loud, just for confirmation or kind of to set it in stone or whatever, I just said out loud, our daughter's name is Stephanie. Okay? Left it there. It's not something we thought about every day. It would come up once in a while, but not something we thought about every day. But we said our daughter's name is Stephanie. Now, go forward another 10 or 12 years to approximately 2016. Our son, when he was 18 years old, he moved out of the house. We brought him up in church. He had many experiences with the Lord right here in this church. When he was 18, he moved out of the house. Basically, looking back now, as he left the house that day, it's almost like he took a garment off that represented his relationship with the Lord and laid it down in the house and walked away from it, okay? For years in his new life, he did not pursue a relationship with the Lord. He stopped pursuing that. He went his own way outside of the Lord's will. Um, in about 2016, he'd been on his own for several years. He's just out there having fun, not at all interested in pursuing a relationship with the Lord. I don't criticize him that for him for that this morning. I don't blame him for that. Every one of us have walked that path in one time in our life. We've been out of the will of the Lord, either before we come to the Lord or after we were saved. And, you know, we just, no, I can't do this. I won't do this. Every one of us have been in that position. So I don't criticize him for that. It's just how it was. It's just, that was our reality then. He wasn't serving the Lord. He was making no attempt to, to grow his relationship with the Lord. In the midst of him not pursuing a relationship with the Lord, he has a dream one night. He's now, keep in mind, my son knows that my wife and I lost our first child through a miscarriage. My son knows nothing about my mom's dream about the little girl. He knows nothing about Paul Tucker's message about naming the children. He knows nothing about us choosing the name Stephanie for our daughter. All right? He has a dream. He's sitting on a bench 
like in a park setting, if you will. And there's this group of little girls playing nearby, little seven, eight-year-old girls. And as he's sitting there and these girls are playing, one of the little girls runs over to him. And she says, hi, little brother. And she goes back to her friends. He thinks that's kind of strange, but he kind of just blew it off, you know. He's sitting there. They continue playing. A few minutes later, same little girl comes over. Says, hi, little brother, and goes away. And he thinks, well, now this is, this is weird. I wonder what's going on here. Third time, the little girl comes over. Says, hi, little brother. This time, my son says, why are you calling me little brother? The little girl looks at him. She says, I'm your big sister. Said, my name is Stephanie. This is heaven. And she said, I want you to be with me here someday. And that was the end of his dream. Kept it to himself for quite a while. He didn't move on it at that time. Um, but it stayed with him. He finally, he didn't come talk to me about it. He told my wife about it. And she knew the details, but she did not give them to him at that time. She told me about the dream. The next chance I had, sat with my son. We were riding somewhere in the car. I said, Mom said you had a dream. Can you tell me about it? And he began to relate the dream to me. I said, well, what do you think about that? No, just kind of weird. I don't know. It doesn't, probably doesn't mean anything. So I told him about my mom's dream, about the little girl. I told him about Paul Tucker's message. I told him that we had named our daughter Stephanie that night. Got real quiet in the car. Deathly quiet. He was very moved when I gave him the details about what his dream really meant what it was about. Now, he wasn't moved to the point where he made any immediate changes in his life. But the chess master was already at work. Putting the pieces in place. Setting them in place. Making the right move at the perfect time when everything was in place. Let's jump up to Mother's Day last year, 2019. We have a spring conference with Paul Tucker and Richard Hilton. Why in the world did we have a spring conference over Mother's Day weekend? We tried really hard not to have a spring conference over Mother's Day weekend. But Mother's Day weekend was the only weekend for several weeks on either side where both Richard Hilton and Paul Tucker were both free the same weekend. So in order to have both of these quality men in, we had to have the conference Mother's Day weekend. Our whole family was home. My son, who hadn't been in church probably one time in the previous five years, and that was the day of his nephew's dedication. He comes to church with us that day. I'd come early. I think I'd come with my wife, and then our daughter was home, our son-in-law was home, our grandson was home. So them and my son come to church. They were a little bit late. If you remember that day, particularly that Sunday, the presence of the Lord was so heavy in this place. It was just on a completely another level. Like I hadn't, I hadn't felt in a long time. 
My son walked in the foyer, hadn't been in a church service for years, like I said, one time in probably five years. He walked in the foyer before he got to the sanctuary, tears running down his face because of the presence of the Lord in the house. Richard Hilton preaches a message that morning. He gives an invitation to those who want to commit their lives to the Lord, for those who want to recommit their lives to the Lord. And my son raises his hand that day. Prayed that prayer that we all repeated together. Charted a new course for his life. The chess master set him up good. Why in the world did we have a spring conference on Mother's Day weekend? Well, what is the one day of the year that a son who wasn't serving the Lord just might be willing to go to church to make his mom happy? Mother's Day. Wouldn't do it on Christmas. Wouldn't do it on Easter. Mother's Day. That's a sure thing. He set him up. Now, that's, I'm not going to stand here and be so arrogant to tell you that's the only reason God arranged that conference for Mother's Day weekend. But it's definitely one of the reasons why he arranged for that weekend. We've had the pleasure since that day watching our son become more and more his old self. He's the man he used to be. We've watched him set things in order in his life. We've watched him reorganize his priorities. But that's not the end of the story. Last September, now Mother's Day, of course, in May, four months later, he calls me. said, next time he was home, he wanted to talk to me about something. He has since moved home with us. At this time, he was not uh, living at home with us. He was living in Red Wing. About a week later, he spent the night with us. I went into his room, and I asked what he wanted to talk about. And he said, oh, nothing important. I said, well, if it wasn't important, you wouldn't have told me you wanted to talk about it. I said, so what do you want to talk about? He starts to cry. He says, I had another dream. And I thought, oh boy. This time in his dream, he was here at church. The only people here were him, Jan Schultz, Juanita Tucker. Church was empty otherwise. They were standing up front here, and they're looking at this wall behind me. All these bricks in the wall. Every brick in that wall had a name written on it. The long bricks had a name. The short bricks had names. The dark bricks had names. The white bricks had names. Every brick in that wall had a name on it, except one. As I stood there, looking at that wall, Sister Jan takes out a marker, hands it to Josh, and says, go write your name on that brick. And that was the end of that dream. And I told him, I believe then, and I believe now that that, I said, that dream speaks to your restoration. Your name going back on that wall. Is he perfect now? No, he is not perfect. Does he have everything figured out? No, he does not. But that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That prodigal has come home because of the Lord's plan. Because of the Lord's timing. Because of the Lord's positioning of those pieces. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But that old song says, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we may not see. 
He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. And he's done that. Don't ever give up your dreams, your hopes. Don't ever give up on your prodigals. Now, a prodigal in your life doesn't have to be a son. I want to point that out. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It can be a daughter. It can be parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, family members, friends, spouse. Anyone outside of the will of the Lord, don't ever give them up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever put too much faith in what you see. Put your faith in what you don't see. Know that the chess master is moving the pieces and putting them in place for the perfect time to make the perfect move in your situation. I'm going to ask my musicians to come. No, they're not mine. They're Pastor Don's. But I'll ask the musicians to come today. Are you willing today to allow him to make a way for you? Are you willing to accept the things that come into your life as part of God's plan? Why did my wife and I suffer a miscarriage in 1988? Because in 2016, we had a son that needed to hear a message. And God decided 28 years before that that his big sister was the one to give the message. That's why we lost a child. Took years to understand that. Some things we never will understand. But that's why we lost that child. Because another child needed a message. And what more powerful message than a sister that he never knew. Amen? Now, I don't know, and please don't ask me... I don't know why our child appeared as an infant to my mom and as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old girl to my son. I assume that in each one of their situations, that's what spoke loudest and most clearly to each individual. The infant who a grandmother longed to hold and never got to, the infant in her dream would speak more to her need. A seven-year-old child would speak more to the need in my son's life. I think that's why it was that way. I don't know for sure, but that's what I think. So are you willing to accept the things that come into your life as part of God's plan? Are you willing to allow him the time it takes, the time it's going to take to put all the pieces in place? I begin this story in September of 1987, but you know it goes way back beyond that. In 1974, my wife was five years old. Her dad picked up and left. Her mom, his wife, and their four children basically to fend for themselves. Because of the economic hardship that placed on the family, they had to move around quite often. They lived, I believe, in several places in Eau Claire. They lived down around Cochrane. They lived in Plum City. At one point in that journey, they wound up in that house at the bottom of the hill over here with the pond next to it. They lived there for a while. At the time, they attended the United Pentecostal Church. It used to be in East Ellsworth, Wisconsin. One Sunday, the chess master sends a bad snowstorm. Attendance was, was hardly anybody at church that day. My wife's mom didn't want to risk a trip to Ellsworth to go to church, so they put on their coats and their boots and they trudged over to the little white church here. This is probably about, oh, it had to be about 1983. They attended service that morning. They didn't go to the church in Ellsworth anymore. They started going here. It was seven, That was in the winter. It was that summer, fall. Um... Her family had invited what at the time was a youth group of this church over to their house for a time of fellowship. 
Now, the youth group at the time wasn't, you know, teenagers and 12-year-olds. It was basically unmarried 20-year-olds. And there was maybe six or seven of us. So we went over there, did some activity, I suppose. I don't know. Um, we're fellowshipping later in the house. And my wife, my future wife, was not, she was off by herself. She was having no part of the group, you know, that we were discussing fellowshipping. And someone says to her older sister, what's Jackie doing? Now, she had just got home from a Bible camp, and um, her sister, kind of making fun of her, says, oh, she's writing a letter to her boyfriend. And I heard that, and I got a jealous pang in my spirit. <laughs> now, keep in mind, at the time, I said the chess master moves the pieces around. At the time, I'm 23 years old. She's 14 and a half. And I felt a jealous pang in my spirit. At the time, I didn't understand it. I was actually angry with myself. I said, you moron. What do you care if a, some little girl is writing a love letter to some little boy she met at camp? You know, pervert. What I didn't know was that God had already placed in my spirit that seed that that was going to be my wife. I didn't know it. It was two years later before that began to blossom inside of me. And basically four years after this happened, we were married. So you can take this back however you want to 1987 to 1974 however far you want to go, but just to get to a point in about 2016 where a prodigal son gets a message that he needed to hear. So make a determination today to allow the master to make his moves, to allow him to put all the pieces in place that he can move mightily on your behalf and on behalf of the ones that you hold up before him. Amen. Amen. Now as we leave, know this this morning. Those prodigals that I talked about, their time away from God has not disqualified them from the plans God has for their lives. Amen. It's only delayed the fulfillment of those plans. They're not disqualified from the blessings that the Lord wishes to pour out on them. Their time away has only delayed those blessings. At that time when they return, the Lord will put a robe on their shoulders. He'll put a ring on their finger. He'll put shoes on their feet. He'll kill the fatted calf, and he'll proclaim a feast. Yes. Because that which was dead is alive again. Amen? Let's give the Lord a praise this morning. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you today that you're at work in our lives. You move in secret. We don't know what's going on. We don't see what's going on, but we don't need to. We walk out of this place with faith today and full confidence and assurance in you that you are moving and positioning those pieces and that you will move on our behalf at the right time. We thank you for it. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You're dismissed this morning.